Hey, kid, the dad might say, don't do that. Yeah, but you're doing it. Yeah, just don't do that. And, you know, the blamelessness. We do that, right, dads, so often? No reason, no excuse. Just tell them not to do it. But even though they're watching us, to be devout, just, and blameless. The children are watching, and Paul realized that as they were watching Corinthians uh, 1.11, I believe it is, where he says, follow me as I follow Christ. He always had this in the back of his mind that, hey, the children are watching, and so I'm going to watch how I'm walking. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I just want us to concentrate on the first 12 verses today and we'll pick up 13 through 20 next week. And we want to look at Paul and his, his encouragement to the church there in Thessalonica to really call to remembrance. He will say this over and over again as he's teaching through this letter about what and the example, the things they did, the example that they were before them, but he'll call them to remembrance as witnesses. Hey, you guys know, for you know that this is how we were. This is what we did. Also, he even calls God in. God is my witness. His desire is not to please men, verse 4, but to please God. And that is something I believe that Paul always wanted to do in his life from early on as a boy. I believe Paul wanted to be a God pleaser. Later on in this book, in chapter 4, Paul is going to talk to us about how we can please God. But today, he's telling us how he went about being this God-pleaser. Here in verse 4, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Now here, Paul begins to describe a little bit about their calling. Their calling as ministers. One, that they have been approved by God. In 1 Timothy 1.11, Paul, writing to Timothy, says to him, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. Being approved by God, 
God who has entrusted to Paul and Silas and Timothy the work of the ministry and many others during that day and even many during this day to you and to me, for those of us who believe, to find out once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, approved by God. You have been approved. It could be that you're new in your faith. We were with Pastor Chuck of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, a few weeks ago, and he was telling a story at dinner time about back in the early days when the hippies were coming and getting saved at Calvary Chapel, but they were so new in their faith they would immediately go out and begin to share their faith. And once the person responded and said, yeah, I want to receive Jesus, they were so new in their faith, they didn't know what to do beyond that point. And so they'd bring the person to Chuck and say, this person wants to get saved. They didn't know how to do that. They didn't know how to follow through all the way, but they were taking what they had as little as it was, and they were approved by God to preach forth the gospel of God. And many of these individuals, as we know, grew to become pastors and pastors' wives and many of the fellowships working throughout our nation and now throughout the world. Do you realize that you have been approved by God for this very thing? And you think, well, John, man, if you'd know my past, God wouldn't want to use me. Well, let's continue on there in 1 Timothy. Paul said in verse 13, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. None of us qualify, but by God's grace, we can be approved by God. But he goes on to say to speak forth the gospel of God. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ, the whole message of the gospel that he wanted to present. Remember, no, no guile, no bait and switch tactic. Hey, Jesus Christ came. He walked this earth, he died, he was buried, he rose again. The gospel message and faith in him can bring you new life, forgiveness of sin. And also he says there in verse 4, at all times seeking to please God. His heart's desire was to please God. I think I misquoted this from Galatians 1.10. It's in that portion that I referred to earlier, but the, what I was thinking of was this in regards to for I do not persuade men or God, nor do I seek to please men. For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. There in the first chapter, he does talk, it might be in verse 8, about his being set aside at birth for the work of the ministry. But in verse 10, he wants to please God. If he please men, if he still please men. Paul realized that he at one time did. That's what he was. He was that man pleaser and he knew it. But no longer. He just wanted to please God. And I hope that you want to be one who pleases God too. Realizing verse 4 there at the end, it's God who tests our hearts. Jeremiah says in 17.10, I the Lord search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And so ultimately God is the judge. And who do you want to please? The one who is going to judge you or the others who are going to be standing in judgment with you? It's not going to matter what your friends think. It's not going to matter what your family thinks. It's not going to matter what your employer thinks at that point. The only thing that's going to matter is what you did with Jesus. God is the ultimate judge of the heart, and it's to him we should be working to and striving to please. In verse 5, he goes on, For neither at any time did we use flattering words. As you know, there again, he's calling them as a witness 
Hey, we didn't use flattering words. John, my favorite bricklayer, the guy said, as I answered the phone one day many years ago. And at that moment, I knew I was in trouble. This guy wanted something. Quite often, that could mean he has some brick to lay, and you're a bricklayer, and they want to use you to uh, get some cheap or free labor. But that isn't always the case. This was an invitation to dinner. And Well, that's not so bad, John. That sounds pretty legit. He said, yeah, my wife and I would like to invite your wife and, and you out for dinner. But the puzzling thing was I didn't know his wife, and he didn't know my wife. In fact, although we had worked together at one point, at one point this guy was a foreman that I was on a job project with, and, and we had worked together before, We'd never went out to lunch together. We'd never done anything outside of the job. Besides what we did there at work and taking break and lunch perhaps on the job, but never really, you know, socializing together. He did have some type of faith in Christ. This is several years ago. I don't think the man was a strong believer, but I think he was associated in church and that kind of, there was a relationship bond there, but I knew he was fishing for something else, man. He just didn't want to have dinner with Lily and I. And so what I said, I said, if you truly want to take Lily and I out for dinner, we'd love to go. But if you have something else on your mind, then I just would rather decline right now. And he was offended by me. And I've never talked to this man again, but that's not the whole story. Because I did get out of him that it was royal jelly. You know, the miracle uh, extract from the honey that is just, John, I know you have a bad back and this stuff is just going to cure you. And so now he was peddling this and not laying brick anymore and making a bunch of money. And, you know, and so often it's through your friends. And, and then when you run out of your friends and family, you got to get a little further. I was on the list, but down the list somewhere. But it was flattering words. I knew I was in trouble when I heard it. And Paul said, hey, we didn't come to you with flattering words. As you know. Today in our churches, many pastors are using such flattering words. One pastor out in California, in his practice and ministry, he says, hey, as he's training up other pastors, guys, you want to make sure that you cause the people to leave smiling. Man, don't let them walk out of your church without a smile on their face. Now, the problem is, what if the conviction of the Holy Spirit has come upon that individual's life and they need to be repentant, not smiling? And so leave them with a joke, leave them with a laugh. And I have nothing wrong with laughter in the fellowship and having a good time when we come in fellowship together here at church. But I want to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. There's another such pastor who has a very large church, and you would know his name, in Texas, who never uses the word hell, sin, perhaps judgment. But I know hell and sin. He just, when he preaches, they're just not part of his vocabulary. He refuses to use them. And so what he's doing is flattering the ears of the people and not giving them the whole counsel of God. And Paul said, no flattering words here, man. We preached it to you, and you know. And then he goes on to say, in verse 5, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Now he calls God, and he does this a couple of times in this chapter. Hey, God is my witness. We didn't have a cloak. There wasn't something else going on. We weren't coveting your goods. 
And quite often in many churches, many ministries, even in Paul's day, they had traveling. Eventually, the church would even develop into this danger, but at that time, more so traveling philosophers who would come in and, and present their their thoughts and, and, and just trying to bleed the people and fleece the people for money. It still happens to this day. It happens in the churches. It happens, hey, just turn on the infomercials on Saturday and Sunday on your TV and it's always the new miracle thing. It's going to straighten out your whole life. And, and it's always good for about six months until they sell what they can. And then they're done. But they've made their millions and they're fine with it. And you have this worthless piece of junk sitting in your house that you keep hanging on to because you paid so much for it. But you might as well get rid of it because you're not going to use it. It's not going to work anyways can happen in ministry. It happens in life. We know that's true. And he calls God his witness here. He continues on in verse 6, Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. That's interesting to me. Paul is telling them, he's telling us, that he had the authority. He had the authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ to make such demands. Hey, you guys... Even in Scripture, it's right to support your pastor. It's right to support ministers, missionaries as they come in, speakers as we bring them in every once in a while. It's right to support men and women like this, perhaps a worship team that comes in to share with us. We had a magician that uh, came in a few weeks ago. It's right to support people who, who their livelihood is found in this type of missionary work, this type of ministry. But not Paul and Silas and Timothy. Paul refused to take the support. And we'll see why in a moment. But he does tell us that we might have had or made demands as apostles. We had the authority. We had the right. But we didn't seek glory from men, either from you or from others. This is probably one of the most dangerous things in ministry. Glory from men. Glory from the people, Pastor, your message was so good today. My ears like that. And if I don't hear it on the way home, I'll ask Lily sometimes. So how'd it go? What'd you think? Because nobody else said it, so she's married to me. She has to say something, <laughs> you know? The danger of taking the glory from God, because what we want to do is, is realize that, and I realize it, that I'm here by God's grace Period. And I know that. And I am amazed that he would choose to use me as he does. So not to seek glory for men. It's a danger there for each one of us. No matter what point or type of ministry that we have, it's so easy to fall into that trap. And the danger is, one, is you're not giving glory back to God. Number two, if you're always seeking glory from men, they're going to fail you. But realize that if you're giving it back to God, God will never fail you. All man can fail us, but God will never fail we're going to close out and look at, uh, at three different styles of ministry that Paul accomplished while he was with them, maybe as little as three weeks, but while he was with them, three different styles of ministry that he had with them. In verse 7 and 8, he says, we were like nursing mothers to you. In verse 9, we were like working brothers. And in verse 10, 11 and 12, 
we were like exhorting fathers to you. And so we just want to look into these last uh, three portions here as we close out our study today. Here in verse 7 and 8, he says, But as gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own child, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become dear to us, just like a nursing mother. Now, you know, guys really don't like to feel soft like that. I'm just like a nurse. Come on. Just like a nursing mother. We, we're just not geared for that. You know, we're problem solvers. It's kind of our nature. And when a child's in trouble, we just want to solve the problem quite often for we can get back to what we were doing because they've interrupted us. It's not the way to be, but that's how we are as dads. But here Paul says, hey, we're like nursing mothers. Now, a nursing mother, what is she doing? She's imparting some of her very life to the child, nourishing the child. And so in that sense, they were imparting the very word of God to the children of God there in Thessalonica. But there's another interesting thing about mothers. I was thinking of an example that I remember from years ago, but then I saw it again yesterday. Daughter and granddaughter Mackenzie and another child, Melissa, my daughter next to me. The two children about 25 yards ahead of me, both backs to me, so I can't see their faces, but a cry happening. One is crying. Now, Mackenzie had her hands up on her face or mouth, and I couldn't distinguish the cry. I looked at Melissa. She knew it wasn't her baby. She just knew. And she told me what was going on. I had no clue. I was standing there the whole time, and I had no clue what was happening. Melissa was all in on it, and she was there talking to me. The kids were off over there, but she was still, as a mother, paying attention. She knew what her child was doing. She knew it wasn't her child was crying. And what the earlier example, we had a bunch of people over in our house and um, from church fellowshipping once, and there was some of the kids sleeping upstairs, and one of the babies cried, and the mom knew that cry. She knew who it was. The other mothers, they could care less. They just kept on going, you know, because mom knew the cry. It's not my baby. Hey, go get your baby. It's not mine. But as a nursing mother, so precious. Paul says we were like that, affectionately longing. He says, for you, that we also imparted our life, not only just imparting the gospel to you, but their very lives. And they were willing, as a mother will, to, when danger is coming, to get between her child and danger. And that was Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to get in between the danger and protect the church. And that's what they did. But also, in verse 9, as working brothers, in verse 9, you remember it says, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. So they were a working brother, and I think of an older brother, and they were in the faith because they're the ones that brought each of these to faith. And so these were all new believers. They were just babes in Christ. And they were this working brothers before them saying, hey, we're not going to be a burden to you in any way. Hey, guys, we'll take care of ourselves, but also watch us as we work. He said there, his labor and toil, as we look at those words in the Greek, the labor actually means an intense labor united with trouble. And the toil defines out to a hard and difficult labor united with distress. 
And so a very hard and difficult work with both trouble and distress going on, but they're working brothers. They don't care, man. They're, they got their younger siblings in the Lord to take care of. And so they're going to work, as he said, day and night intensely, providing for their own needs. And then when they have the opportunity and time coming and gathering the church together and, and teaching them the milk as nursing mothers, giving them the milk of the word of God and raising them up to one day to begin to chew on the, the beef jerky, the meat that's found there in the gospel. But also as exhorting fathers, verses 10 through 11, he says, you are my witnesses and God. Again, calling them and God as witnesses about this, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. So as fathers, notice what type of examples that they were. And sadly, in our country today, we don't have many fathers who rate in as this type of example. As fathers, as examples before them, they were devout, they were just, and they were blameless. Devout, just, and blameless. We know that our kids watch us all the time. But as fathers, they were devout, just, and blameless. Devout actually talks about a piousness in a holy way. And so not a holier-than-thou attitude, but holy toward their God, just like they should be representing their God to their children, just talking about doing what is proper and right before them. And blameless, they were without fault. Hey, kid, the dad might say, don't do that. Yeah, but you're doing it. Yeah, just don't do that. And, you know, the blamelessness, we do that, right, dads, so often? No reason, no excuse, just tell them not to do it. But even though they're watching us, to be devout, just, and blameless. The children are watching, and Paul realized that as they were watching, that they were an example. Remember, Paul talked about being that example last week as we looked in chapter 1. And he even said, as you followed us and the Lord. And there in Corinthians one eleven one, I believe it is, where he says, follow me as I follow Christ. He always had this in the back of his mind that, hey, the children are watching, and so I'm going to watch how I'm walking. It's so important that we do that, but not just how we walk before them, but how we deal with them as fathers, too. In verse 11, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. To exhort Paracletus in the Greek to call near. So that picture of a dad calling his child alongside, hey, I just want to it's not for punishment. It's calling them near. Hey, I just wanted, how's it going? And just being a dad and offering, well, comfort, the very next word. Sometimes as you call a child near, you'll find out that they need some comforting. And just to offer them some words of comfort. But also to charge. That means to, to get them out there, man. Hey, I'm not always going to be able to call you near. I'm not always going to be able to comfort you. But you've seen how I've been walking before you devoutly, justly, and blamelessly. And you know what? I want to charge you to walk the very same way when you grow up. And it's talking about really preparing your child for the life that he or she is going to walk in this life. And how are we doing that with our own children? 
in verse 12, that you would have a walk worthy of God. That's what Paul is after, to see his children having a walk worthy of God. Isn't it what you want here as a believer today? To see your children walking a walk that is worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. As we close out, realize that it's not our kingdom that we're being called to, it's his. It's not our glory that's concerned there, it's all his. It's all about him. It always has been, it always will be. And by his grace, he allows us to partake. It's so cool. I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I am so grateful that we have such a loving Father, our God, who sent his only begotten Son to offer his life a sacrifice for us that we could come into that relationship with him and impart to us not only salvation but the Holy Spirit of God into our very lives. And Father, we are so grateful and thankful for your word that you have given to us that you first gave to Paul through pen to go to the church there in Thessalonica, but you have preserved it for us to this day. May we read from it, may we grow from it, may we learn from it. Lord, that we would be a people who would walk worthy of you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.